0: So this weekend, it's Labor Day weekend, a day when we celebrate the contributions workers have made, made to strengthen and bring prosperity and well-being to our country. And God's Word, in spite of what some people say, says that work is good. From Ecclesiastes chapter 2, a person could do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own labor. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without Him, who can eat or find enjoyment? But as I I think about that, and I think about our our work, I I wonder if we live in a time and a place where too much emphasis and energy and meaning and purpose is put into our work. As if you look to the gurus and the academics and the philosophers, they'll, they'll tell you, follow your heart. If you're looking for answers, look inside. Test your feelings, or, or one of my favorites that's straight out of the New Age movement, follow your bliss. And they say if you do that, and if you can find a, a type of work that's like that, then your life will be fulfilling and your life will be great. And I see a couple of my friends out here, and they do have great jobs, and I am a little envious, but that's besides the point, because we all have bad days at work. And if we're looking for our meaning and our purpose from what we do with our hands, we put ourselves in a very precarious position. And so then the bigger and the deeper question is, is is if everyone out there is doing this, then why is our world such a messed up place? Why isn't it the place that we think it should be? Why is there so much strife? between nations and classes and races and people? Why do our relationships tend to fray and fall apart? See, Jesus had a very different assessment of the human heart. He says these words in Mark chapter 7 to His disciples. Again, Jesus called the crowd to Him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out from a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Do you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it does not go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. We live in a a world and in a time where, where we can fix the heart. We can go in and we can replace valves and we can put in shunts and we can do all sorts of incredible things to fix the heart. We can regulate the heart with a pacemaker. We can even replace it. But we cannot change it. Social commentator Alexander said, the line between good and evil passes not through states nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. Indeed, we find that even to be true in the Bible. In the Bible, we don't see good people and bad people. We see better people and worse people. Even David, who is a man who is said to be after God's own heart, Is a man that had this evil come out of his heart and he chased after something he shouldn't have and he brought destruction to his lives and the lives of the people around him. In other words, we all as people have a part in what makes this world a miserable and broken place. And the truth is, this isn't what we want for our lives. And so where do we go wrong? How do we fix this. And yet as I I think about this problem, I think there's one particular word that i like to pull out on this list just because it's something that I've seen and something that, that really speaks to me. And it's a word that I think all of us zip right by and say, oh, that's not my problem. That's somebody else's problem. And I think it's a particular problem here in America and in Orange County. And that one word that Jesus puts on the list is the word greed. And at the heart of it, we think about it's about money and things, but it's it's deeper than that. It's to have more. Uh, Some have called it the cursed love of having. Plato described it like this, the desire of man is like a sieve or a pierced vessel, which he ever tries to fill and never can fill. And this sort of attitude that, that creeps up in our heart, that creeped up in King David's heart, corrupts the things that we put our hands to. The other day I was at the gym and um, this scrawny little white kid starts singing this lyric on this song and I'm like, what did you just say? It was one of those lyrics that just kind of caught my mind and I was like, whoa, what was that? And so I did a little research and I did some research this morning, made sure nobody knew who I'm talking about. And um, this is one of the most successful Musicians in this genre. His fingerprints can be seen on a lot of the top hits of our decade. In the early part of this year, he was about to have his third album go number one. He is an artist of unparalleled success. And yet his work, his work is uniquely influenced by the ups and downs of his personal life. And by how the world at large receives his music. And in other words, the way that the people in his life are treating him and the way that things are happening to him reflects reflects how he sings and how he makes music. And he wears his heart on his sleeve. And the lyric that caught my mind was this. Thinking about this cash like it's fast food, everything around me turned to fast food. In other words, everything is an easy commodity and yet it's not good. Everything is, is unsatisfying, unfulfilling, always leaving me wanting more. I can have whatever I want and it doesn't fill me. It leaves me hungry and thirsty because there's there's a difference between fast food, something that you eat in the car by yourself going from one place to another, than a meal gathered together with family that is filling and rich and full of good food. A commentator wrote about this song at its core it's about the all consuming, inescapable nature of addiction, the kind that corrodes your soul and saps any will to change. It's a funeral dirge. And the amazing irony I saw in this song was that he's talking about addiction to drugs and other things. I saw the addiction to stuff and accumulation and how it becomes unsatisfying. And the truth as we look at King David is we see that no one is immune we all have this tendency in our heart to want to check our Facebook and make sure that people are liking the picture of our cute kids, uh, to see how many followers we have on Instagram. We look to the car in the driveway, the size of the house, the, uh, the number in the bank account. We look to the success we're having at work. And the truth is, as is long as we're putting all of our energy and all of our worth in those things, it will not satisfy It cannot save us. And just so you know that I'm not just picking on you. Preachers aren't immune. One of the adages that I heard at seminary was, you're only as good or bad as your last sermon. (laughs) I had a pastor that I look up to that every morning because of the anxiety that built in him, he would rise at four in the morning like he couldn't sleep in. Even if he wasn't preaching until 10 o'clock, he had to get up because of the nerves and the anxiousness in him. Another preacher that I was talking to said he would rise early every morning and before he put on his robe and his stole and went to the pulpit, he threw up. Author I was reading, talk about this, was reading... On Romans, this great commentary, and it's rendered like this in Romans chapter 1, verse 17 He who through faith is righteous shall live. And this preacher said, I almost heard a voice say to me, Yes, and he who through preaching is righteous shall die every Sunday. We all try and do this. We all want to say, I'm worth something, I'm of value, I'm significant. And it's not in us. So where do we go? Where do we look? I think one of the best places we can look as God's people is to someone who fell from the heights and once again restored his faith, restored his belief in God, and found joy again. David writes in Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. David says, the way to an undivided heart is not introspection, not by looking into ourselves and determining what we desire. Rather, it is in praise. Deliberate worship. Deliberate worship like we're doing this morning. Some people will say that our contemporary music is shallow and the the lyrics are repetitive. What we're trying to do in those words is drive deep the truth of God's word into our hearts. That, That truth that we are no longer slaves, that we are children of God, that we are who He says He is, not who we try and make ourselves to be. Who likes all my fountains? Oh, come on. Are you guys not awake? It's like one of my favorite songs. I love that. And it's not just about the flamenco clapping. Let's <laughs> get that right? But it's 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 yeah, that's what I thought. It's a fun song, and so we sing it. Really, that's a biblical truth. A biblical truth that comes from Psalm 87, where we as God's people are saying all our source of joy, all our source of satisfaction, all our springing and dancing, ascending and descending like a fountain, is found in God, our source of joy. And so we are trying to tell our hearts, sing to our hearts to look to God and look to Him alone. So how do we go out into a world that wants to corrupt our hearts? How do we go out and face a world that that wants to work that love of self and more into us? I think one of the best places we can look is to St. Paul. As he looks at the battle and gives us a very clear idea of what we are up against. So from Ephesians chapter 6, we read these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, as another theologian once said, no strength of ours can match His might, we would be lost, rejected. If we go out in this battle on our own, we don't have the tools to fight. We will lose. And more than that, those, those voices that are telling you to follow your heart aren't just misguided ramblings. It's a message from the enemy. A message from the enemy saying, if you do that, if you follow your heart, because guess what? Even if you get it, you won't find the satisfaction that you need and it will drive you away from your Father. St. Paul goes on, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Stand in what? Stand in our identity. Stand in who our God declares us to be. Stand in who He has made us and declared us to be. Not in our own accomplishments, but in who He says that we are. We stand in what Jesus has done for us. We we build our lives on who He is and who He has declared us to be as His people. He goes on, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Notice here again that the the truth comes from outside us. It's God's truth that is to guide us in life. It's God's truth that points the way. Not my truth or your truth, but God who declares who we are, who helps us to understand who we are so that we can move forward in life without fear. And I love the imagery of the breastplate of righteousness when we're proud What do we kind of, the the image that we get for that is somebody standing tall and beating their chest, right? Like, look at me, I am man, hear me roar. When we go to do that, we see that it's not that we're standing in our own power, but in His righteousness. His righteousness is our boast. His righteousness allows us to stand tall. And with feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel is what removes our fear. When we live in fear, we're afraid in our workplaces to speak the truth in love. We're, we're afraid to brave the wilderness because we're afraid that if we say, what we say um, comes up short and offends people and hurts people, then people will think less of us. But when we know that our identity stands in God and what He has done for us and what He declares about us, we can step forward and bravely and honestly say what needs to be said. We can bravely and honestly be who God has declared us to be and speak that truth that God has put within us because we're not led and guided by fear. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And that's where those things from our world come at us and say, if you only had this, if you only had that, if you only had a a better boss or a, a better boat or a better job or better pay or this or that or if my kid and all these things. And faith says, put your trust in God. Know that in God, that is your joy, that is your strength, that is your song. In God, you find that that is what I need, and I can know and I can trust that even in the hardest things of life, that God is at work. And finally, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God helmet of salvation our world wants to take captive our thoughts and say if you adjust then you could be great and the helmet of salvation reminds us to focus our thoughts on the greatness of our God to focus our thoughts on what he has done for us on his power at work in our lives on who he says he is we're to make captive our thoughts To our God who gives us salvation. And finally we are to take the sword of the Spirit. His word. His word that another biblical author says is sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to divide spirit and soul. Joint and marrow. Able to determine the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. sword of the Spirit that goes into us. So that even though these evil things can come out of us, the sword of the Spirit goes in. So that out of that, the words of God can come out of our heart. And slowly, as the Word of God seeps deep into our being, it can help us remove those idols. Remove those things that we would seek to place upon God's throne. If you'd read on, you'd see that those words of God that are put in us By the Spirit of God, they flow out in prayer and supplication. God invites us to remember that it's not about what we do, but it's about who He declares us to be. It's about His covenant faithfulness to us. And He invites us to be faithful to Him, that we can stand, stand in Him and what He's done for us. Amen.